Hello, everyone. It is time to head north. I'm your host, Natasha Ryan, VP of comms for the North Group. And today I have my friend and former colleague, Vince Vargas on. Vince, thank you for giving me your time today. Yep. Yep. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you for finding a way to squeeze me in. <laughs> Absolutely. Always time for you. And we just have to always make our schedules meet in the middle somehow. So yeah. big news for Vince here. You have released a book. You are a published author. And every time I see Borderline, I hear Madonna's Borderline. <laughs> I feel like that should be like your theme song when you hold the book up. It just... I'm I'm going to make a post with that today if it's not licensed. <laughs> I love it. So <clears throat> I can't wait to dive into this. Um, but your background is so relevant to the book and why you wrote it. So yeah. for people that have never met Vince, you may recognize him. I'll let him tell you about that too. However, uh, today the the focus is on your days as a border patrol agent. So let's, let's get into your background a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I did serve just under seven years as a border patrol agent with uh, Homeland security, obviously. And five of those were with the Borstar star team. It's the special operations search trauma and rescue unit uh, for the border patrol. And so, uh, watching everything that's going on in the news and kind of how they portray the border patrol became frustrating uh, while I sit in my trailer in Hollywood in my, you know, very, um, you know, privileged situation, <laughs> I was frustrated watching, uh, you know, the world kind of demonize and politicize a career field that I came to love. So that sounds like that served as your motivation. But let's be honest, writing a book and and that undertaking that that takes a lot of motivation, a lot of time, a lot of commitment. Um what drove you to the point where you said, this is something I have to do? You know, I've, you know, I've just been a writer a lot of my life and, and a writer is like more in the just write journal blogs, blah, blah, blah. But um, when I watched the alleged whipping incident that happened, they call it the false whipping is what they call it. Um, in watching how the public just jumped on it and and started calling the border patrol all which ways but not even that watching politically get pulled into you know <laughs> the administration almost attacking the border patrol without knowing the full story uh i felt compelled to to use my voice uh in a way that hopefully could help explain the career of the border patrol agent you know it's it was hard to watch. It was hard to, to see that and sit here. Like I said, I'm sitting here in this privileged world where I'm, you know, filming a TV show and I don't have to, you know, entertain this argument. I don't have to be a part of the discussion, but I felt that I knew that the position that the border patrol was taking at the time was just kind of, um, they weren't countering the argument. It was almost like, well, let's just, you know, it'll die off in, in a sense. And I know border patrol agents were kind of given, and I wouldn't say a gag order per se, but they were kind of told not to speak on it and don't use your social media platform for any, any kind of reason. And so when you have that, then you're only getting one side of the agenda being spoken. And that yeah. agenda was, was, was not looking good for the border patrol career field and which became a ripple effect where I had to get involved anyways, because of the work I do in the civilian side with veterans and um, in resiliency and trying to help veterans uh, that who struggle coming out of the military. 
I kind of made a name for myself for someone who focuses on helping people in those kind of crisis. Uh, well, you know, the turn of events, that situation created a ripple effect of a very low morale across the border patrol. And there was a high influx of suicides that were happening through the career. And so much so that, you know, I was contacted by a team saying, Hey, we work for the border patrol and we're having some issues. We know you do this on the outside. What are some recommendations you have for us? And that kind of pulled me right back into the circle. And I said, you know what? I think I'm needed more than ever to tell my story. And let me tell you, so this man doesn't just talk the talk, right? He created an organization called Veteran to Better Veterans' Lives. Uh, he lives it, he breathes it, and he leads by example. And, you know, thank you for doing that because in yeah. that community, that is so needed. You know, I concur with you that we now live in a society where it's easy to jump on and start the hating right away without having the full facts. And as a former news person, it's sad for me to watch because it's not it's not how I learned in college, right? Where you have to have ethics and not be biased and not jump. And and the point was not to be when I went into that career field, social media didn't exist. So being first on Twitter was not was not a thing. I, I saw the inception of that and saw the the road that that can go down. And it's, it's unsettling for sure. Mm -hmm. um, not that there aren't credible news outlets, but I think just how things are covered, it, the, the landscape has completely shifted since I went to college and, you know, yeah. In, in the past two years, I've spent a lot of time on the border. I've been traveling myself down there to kind of get first eyes. You almost like a, like I wouldn't say a journalist because I think real journalists would be upset because I don't have a degree in this. Uh, and, and it, I, I'm saying that as a joke because at one point I was down there reporting on, you know, the, the title 42 kind of transition. And I had a journalist message me and she said, you know, only journalists have degrees. You're just down there reporting. I was like, okay, cool, cool, cool. And then later on she posted false information and then had to remove it because she was embarrassed. So I think it's funny. I think it's kind of funny, but you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Um, you know, my 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 goal in the past couple of years was go down to the board and write, just show exactly what's happening without the emotional, uh, you know, expression of it. Uh, you know, you have Infowars who gets very emotional about the, what they put out there. You have other, you know, left, right, doesn't matter who are, they, they're emotional about how they put out the information. And when you do that, I feel like you, you, you're creating a, an argument, not a discussion. And I think it's very important for us to have some kind of dialogue that, that introduces discussion and intelligent thought, because then we could actually kind of get down to the, the bottom of how maybe we can uh, enter ideas that can fix this, or how do you even, wh what is the answer, right? Or like, you know, what kind of, who are you voting and how are you voting? So that does that actually change things? And so, you know, we've turned a lot of our news into arguments and that I think shuts people off immediately. There is a, there's a group of people that want to just know the facts and want to just learn facts and not fight, you know, and those yeah. people really looking for outlets. And so when I started posting about the border and I started going down to the border and showing like, here's just what's happening without any kind of agenda, just here you go. Here's the facts. Um, I had a lot of it. Like my, my, my TikTok blew up for that. And I was surprised. I was like, Oh, wow. There's a lot of people who just like me want to know the facts, right. And don't want to get pushed in any direction other than just tell me what is happening. And yeah. that's why, and that's exactly kind of the, that's the kind of the, the, yeah, the thing is what I did with the book is I wrote it in that same effort of just like, this isn't a political argument from this book standpoint. This is just, here's the objective information of the career field of a border patrol agent. And exactly 
how our immigration system works. And, you know, I've had a huge response on, on being people are very appreciative of just having that kind of viewpoint and not pulling a narrative left to right or anything. While you take that drink, I'll ask the next question. So I'm so curious because anytime you bring a camera anywhere near people, I mean, this is a sensitive topic. Were you met with resistance? Uh, not me. You know, it, it's funny. The Border Patrol no, normally wouldn't talk to people, but they know my background. And so they kind of welcome me like, hey, you can come take a look, you know, and then I ask questions off camera just out of respect for their career. But yeah. as well as just, just curious, like, dude, what what is happening? Right. What's going on? Right. What is happening? Yeah. And the frustration that that was happening for me was the resistance was actually the other reporters and frustrated that I was getting this access that they weren't allowed to, you know, and well, because if they were given access to see the truth, they'll spin it any direction they want. And that that was unfair. You know, so the border was like, hey, Vargas, come look. This is this is what's happening. And here's kind of the position that we take. This is why. And it comes down to like there's definitely a huge disconnect between, you know, the Portugal's career and what they do, right? Their job, their task, and as well as what the media thinks they're supposed yeah. to do. On yeah. top of that, then there's a disconnect to the policies that are in place and that essentially, you know, you can do your job. But after apprehension, what happens next? That's not a Border Patrol mission. But it's tagged as Border Patrol issue because the easiest name you can throw out there for people who work on the border is border patrol but they forget that there's ice you, you forget that there's immigration judges who make determinations right you, they forget that there's customs at the port of entry and so uh i think the easiest information that was digestible for the public was border patrol is in charge of all of it and that was false you know and so you know i wanted to kind of differentiate that in the book what is happening I mean, without giving your book yeah. away, kind of no. give us some cliff notes here. Like, what is going on at the border? What's the truth? Yeah. You know, what happens daily, well, on the Border Patrol's perspective, we'll start there, is that they wear many hats. You know, they have the hat of the humanitarian mission. They have the hat of the apprehension mission. They have the, the hat of, you know, the, the Homeland Security mission, if you will. They also have the hat of being a medic in a time of need. And, you know... Um, you know, doing their best to interdict situations that that have potential life, uh, you know, that could risk lives. And so at all times, a border agent has to assess the situation and make a determination how they're going to present themselves, whether it's in a passive posture, whether it's in a medical posture, whether it's in a crisis posture, whether it's in a security posture. And so that's happening daily. And so why is it so complex? Well, because we're fulfilling two missions at once, right? We're fulfilling a mission of Homeland Security that was brought to us by after 9-11. After 9-11, we kind of up, up the security of our country, realizing like there's threats that, that want to come harm America and some of the potential areas of access would be the border. <clears throat> and so Homeland Security mission happens daily. That's something that is implemented and why we have such a robust system currently. On top of that, then you have the immigration conversation, right? Which would be humanitarian potentially for any of those who are seeking asylum. And it's also just immigration as a whole as our country. Our country is established, you know, by immigration. You know, we are a country of immigrants, you know, the melting pot. Yeah. And so it's for our country to continue to have one, you know, to be that beacon of light for other countries and as well as to have that dignity, we have to always allow a form of immigration. Now, we do. We allow legal immigration. That's part of our policy, right? So legal immigration happens so often, and so so it's it's such a 
high number that most people probably didn't understand. Last year, it was 1.5 million people were allowed into this country through the legal system of immigration. 1.5 million. I didn't know it was that high, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. So 1.5 million were access to America for whatever reasons, whether they were married, whether they have kids, whether they had uh, some kind of uh, outstanding condition, whether it's medical or whatever, whatever it is, right? They were allowed into this country. Illegally, we've currently had a massive influx of over 8 million. And that's just a roundabout number illegally. That goes from the numbers of gotaways, which are people that we identify as entered and we couldn't apprehend. Say, I started tracking footprints at the fence, at the wall, and then tracked their, their footprints all the way to a road and saw there was no continuing existence of those footprints. So we assumed they were picked up by some smuggling operation. And so that, on top of the illegal immigrants that are coming into this country and that the current policy in place is if they're claiming asylum, well, then we process them as such, and then they have to wait for an immigration judge yeah. to determine that case. And so they're given a notice to appear, and that means they're released into our country into a later date. Statistically, 3% recently, the number is 3% actually come back for that date. Okay, and so those are the facts. Here's the statistics and the numbers. And so in that sense, what's happening is that our immigration and the two, the two things that we have to try and comply with at all times because of our country, our immigration button is opened up far too open and our security posture is far too laxed. Why? Because when you have a, a, the number, say just, just 8 million, let's just use that number of illegal immigrants who have come into this country either by Godaway or released through, through the notice to appear system. Well, now you have the potential of 8 million people, how many of those actually are here to try and afford the benefits of what America prov provides for them? On top of that, how many of those have a negative outlook on America and are here for, you know, those very, outliers? Yeah. yeah, various reasons. So so that's the concern. So a guy like me who spent most of his years, you know, chasing the worst dudes in the world, uh, I, it raised a concern of our safety as a country. It, it makes me pose the question, are we essentially creating our own version of the Trojan horse internally in our country? And when they choose to uh, stand out, they will. And in the power of numbers, just look what happened with, with Israel uh, and how many individuals it took just to try and create the havoc that they caused. It doesn't take many to try and you know cause some severe trauma or, or a traumatic event that causes, you know, it's a terroristic attack. And so... I don't say that to, to, to fear monger. I say that like the way my mind thinks is both sides is like, Hey, we're letting 1.5 men, 5 million people in legally. That's pretty cool. Uh, how many can we do without, you know, without overexerting our resources? Good question. I don't know that I'm actually, I've actually posed that question to several professionals. I'm waiting for answers so we can kind of really do the numbers on that. Cause I think it's important to have that. Um, but on the other side, illegally 8 million why? Why currently is in, in people say it's a, it's an open border? I was like, no, no, it's not an open border. These people are being apprehended. The border patrol is doing their job. Yeah. It's kind of an open policy by loophole of the system, right? It's kind of what it is. It's kind of an open policy based on kind of the loophole of the system that's happening. And that is the question. Well, why do we have a loophole that we know currently is causing havoc? Why haven't we stopped that? Why haven't we implemented an executive order that says, nope, 
from this point forward, if you come over illegally, you're going back. You're getting extradited removal. You're getting you're getting deported. You're getting prison time, jail time, whatever it is. Like why why are we continuing to allow this loophole system to happen? Well, that's the question, right? And that's kind of the the big concern. What's happening on our border currently? That's the frustration. You know, and on those same arguments, you have people say, close the border. That's not realistic for who we are as a country. Right. And then goes and then open the border. Well, that's not realistic either because we are a country. And so we have boundaries and we have borders. And so it's complex. There's levels to this. And currently right now, um, it's a very it's a it should be a big concern for everyone, because now that the border towns are being so overwhelmed, they're getting bust all over the nation. Yeah. And, and let me just be clear. Yeah. <laughs> Vince is not saying, as you said, don't let anyone in. He's saying it is imperative that it's done through our legal process and that we have to analyze risk when we let anyone come into our country, right? We are mm -hmm. analyzing the risk. That's intelligent. And you wouldn't let just anyone walk into your kid's school. You wouldn't let anyone just board a plane because they want to fly somewhere there are rules, there are policies, there are procedures you have to go through. So it's just kind of common sense to me that why do we just carte blanche not follow? Well, and think of it hands up. In, in the book, I, I use the reference or I use the analogy of uh, you have a front door to your house, right? right. And in that, in that front door to your house is, is wise because we all determine how much security we want for our own lives. And so do you have an alarm system in your house? That's up to you. Do you have a doorbell that shows everyone? That's up to you. But everyone kind of makes a determination how much security do you want in your own house? On top of that, you get to determine who you would like in your house and who you don't. We don't just let strangers in the house because why? This just doesn't feel right. As well as as we allow people into our house, we also make that determination that they're going to leave at some point. And if not, then I have to kick them out because I don't want some stranger coming or a friend coming and staying for 20, you know, 20 days. Like So we always always have to make that determination of how we manage our own security and our safety in, in our own posture, in our own house. Well, as a country, we should deserve that same right. We should be able to determine who comes in this country and, and have an a process that determines whether it is safe to allow them into this country if they're here to do right and do wrong. And so those are, that's all everyone is asking when you talk about immigration, right? There's a lot of arguments that get stemmed off from this that are very weird, but think of it this way as well. If you're going to allow a, someone to babysit your kids, you pick and choose who you want. You don't just allow anyone to do that, right? And that's kind of the idea is like my kids are my nation, my kids are my world, and their safety is my utmost you know, I, I always want them. I allow them to have friends and usually we meet the parents of those friends and I, I make sure there's a good relationship between them and kind of determine like who they can and can't hang out with. But at the same time, like I don't let anyone come into my nation and just protect, watch my kids. I got to, I got to see who they are. I got to know how safe it is. I got to know their background. And in doing that, and some people want that open border. It's like, man, you're, you're asking us to allow anyone into this country because the idea of the humanitarian side of things, but as well as the idea is like, oh, it's a country. We're a free country. Let them come in. Like, yeah, but we're also a sovereign nation. We open that, the door to. Yeah, yeah, we're also a sovereign nation that should be allowed to protect our own people. Yeah, you know, and so it's it's a it's a big concern, and you know, I, I I talk about that in the book and how how important it is for us to understand both of those dynamics, you know, and and there's this weird argument being being that I'm Hispanic, you know, I think it's it's the right voice speaking on this subject. My mother, my mother uh, is a first generation. My grandmother came here illegally, right, and that I had to answer that question in this book because I knew that was going to be a big question for people to be yeah. like, Oh, Oh yeah. So, you know, you're, well, I'm, I'm a second generation, you know, and 
there's there's so many levels to that that own conversation there that people are like, well, America just took it from the land from the people. I'm saying, and that is like the it's like we can sit here and 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 talk about this forever and talk about the history and the, the and, and all that. But for me, I stand in a position like, what are we doing now in this country? What are we able to do currently? I can't I can't fix the past. I can't fix how how this nation was developed, but currently as it is, it is still the land of opportunity for anyone that does come here. Even those who are legal currently have the land of opportunity for them. And so in the sense of like, there should be some aspect of if you come to this country, we should expect you to invest back into this great nation. And if you want to reap the benefits of that, follow the process. Now, the counter to that, our process is extremely difficult extremely challenging and it takes a very long time for a good person to become a citizen so there's things we need to look at as an immigration system as a whole absolutely we need yeah we need to create a streamlined process that is not taking 12 years for any individual to come to be a legal citizen right we have to look into our system yes right so there's a lot of things there's a lot of things we can do to implement change but you know that's a whole different conversation uh i mean we could talk a little later on that but i mean for me that's the issue that's happening currently on our border is that we have two systems that we have to we have to please homeland security and, and immigration both of these arguments left right however they are yeah they're, they're almost the same argument that has to meet in the middle that yes. has to be met in the middle somewhere and when we do that you know i think we'll have a better a better overall system and i am going to come back to that because i want to hear maybe some solutions or suggestions you have but i want to so I've known Vince for a few years now. So I've heard about things that he had to do, had to witness, had to see, right? And something that always stuck with me that I don't think most people realize, and I'll never forget you talking about this. It is not solely, I mean, when people think a border patrol agent, they think law enforcement, right? Like an agent that's just handcuffing throwing in a cell. I mean, I think that is the typical stereotypical vision, right? But Vince told me how often they literally have to go save lives because people are in horrible geographical areas and situations, and they are literally dying while they're being falsely led to believe they're going to have safe transport to the border. And then they are left out in the middle of a desert and border patrol actually is so, it is a true kindness to go out there and search and search and search and save those people. And so I want you to talk about some things the agents do that are not, that most people are unaware of. Yeah. You know, a border patrol's job is not only for illegal immigration. Genuinely, I think the job 90% of the time manages safeguarding human life, right? And safeguarding human life is not only illegal immigrants. It's anyone in that border area that is that is needing service. Yeah. Uh, a border patrol agent, it's not uncommon for a border patrol agent to see many dead bodies in their career. And from that, from drownings and to people who are exposed to the heat, to the environments. Uh, Del Rio sector alone, it's probably about 200 miles of area to cover. Del Rio sector, maybe 250, somewhere around there. Del Rio sector alone had lost 247 people last year. 240. That is one area of our border, one sector of our border, 247 individuals due to drownings or heat incidents. 
uh, understand they're not dying because the Border Patrol is doing anything incorrect. They're dying because the massive numbers of people who are trying to attempt to cross our 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 cross the border, which i.e. would be the Rio Grande River. On top of that, the thousands and thousands of, of acres of ranches that exist on the Texas border. Now, those people are guided by smuggling operations, smuggling uh, organizations, and they're guided because they have turned this into a business. There is a monetary value per, for people and how far they travel and where their destination is. And in understanding that, they've created a business that understands people will continue to come in the numbers. And so they are a they are just a number to them. And so as they cross the border, as they attempt to cross, if they can't swim, they, they can they can buy a, a vest, but that costs more. Right. You, all these things, it's, it's, it's this system that they have. And once they cross the river, if they don't make it across the river, that coyote, the person who's, who is guiding them, doesn't care. The money has been paid, continuing the mission. And he continues to take them further on to the port. At one point, if they get into a ranch and a border station is close, they scatter. The coyote heads back south. And once they head back south, he leaves them all to do whatever happened for, on their own. And so why? Well, because the coyote is paid. His, his job is the attempt, right? That's what his job is. He can make more money now if he's if he's able to get them to the, their destination, but he's already made his money. The people who are scattered now, they don't know land navigation skills. They don't know how far they are. Most people think they're going to walk to San Antonio, which is like, I don't know if you know that, but that would take you several days, probably 12 days, to be honest, if you walk day in and day out. But what they do is they walk during the – the, the 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 night so it's not so hot and during the day they try and sleep or they try and hide to, to cover from the heat it don't take long for someone to die to exposure to the heat and so we're walking up on dead bodies all the time the job of a border agent is to safeguard human life me as a border agent i would wake up in the morning head to work and say hey two groups scattered one in this ranch one in this ranch we say okay cool i'm gonna go to this ranch i head to that ranch i find the the grid coordinates to where they were noticed to have been scattered i track their footprints and i do my best to to save as many of those individuals as i can that day i could be walking for 20 miles just to find individuals and when i find them Sometimes I'm there on time and sometimes I'm not. If I'm there on time, I provide medical interventions. I give them IVs. I give them oranges, any kind of fruits or whatever I can, and I get them to definitive care as soon as possible. My job was search trauma and rescue for many years, but as a regular Border Patrol agent, if you guys would check out the book, I jumped in to save an illegal migrant who's, who's drowning within the first 30 days of my job because I believe in human life. I, most of us. The question is like, aren't they all racist? Like, no, seventy percent are Hispanic. <laughs> so that argument's thrown out the window. It comes out, no, we're empathetic. We understand it. We also understand that I can't tell who you are compared to a bad guy. Right. You don't have a sign across your chest that says I'm bad and I'm good. And so our goal is to apprehend every individual who attempts to cross. The sad part is, a majority of people who attempt to cross find themselves in some kind of hardship. If it's women, it could be worse. Besides death, it could be rape. It could be sex trafficked throughout the whole trip. It, it, it's it's un, it's it's hard to describe all the things that we have to manage as border patrol agents, and it's it's not in the training. You don't learn 
all of this stuff. You have to make a decision at that moment and determine what's the situation you have in front of you and how can you safeguard as many human lives as possible and trying to trying to manage not losing your own life in the attempt. And right. we've lo- and we've lost agents attempting to save people in the water. Well, let's also talk about, you know, let's hit on losing lives because of mental health. I mean, it's just like any profession where you encounter trauma, you are part of the trauma and then the trauma affects you naturally. Let's pretend you're president for the day. Okay. President Vince in the white house. What do you enact? What resources are needed to make sure that these border patrol agents can go home and live a healthy life once work hours are done? Yeah, that's tough. You know, we implemented recently a resiliency program and that's pretty valuable. And you know, the other day I went to go speak to the border patrol and one guy says, yeah, dude, I just, I saw two dead bodies the other day. And he talked about it nonchalantly. And I stopped him. I said, you know, that's not normal. You know, and I want you to understand that. Like, I know this is your career, but the average person in America will not ha- have a, ever have a chance to ever say, I just saw two dead bodies today. And so I want them to acknowledge, like, we have a job that is challenging day in and day out. And to say you've seen this many dead bodies in your career is not an easy thing for a human being to really experience. We're human. Border patrols are human. And so we implemented that resiliency program to, to hopefully show them that, like, we understand how hard this job is day in and day out. And so things like the resiliency program is very valuable. We need, we need to have more positive um, messaging for the Border Patrol. You know, we really need to show the heart and soul of what it is. They, they, they haven't done that. And so the world sees the, the vision of the angry person who grabs an illegal immigrant, throws them in the truck, and takes them in. Um, we haven't done the, a good part in really showing the good PR side of what the Border Patrol does day in and day out. That humanitarian mission that happens more often than anything else on that border daily. We've carried, I've carried kids out for miles. I've given them my lunch. I've given them my water. Uh, and I have no problems with it. I'll do it over and over and over again because this is who we are as border patrol agents. It is a very human and empathetic mission that is rooted in that. And on top of that, have to also safeguard this great nation from terrorist attacks. Complex. As complex as it can be, it's crazy. And so uh, in, in, my, in my head, there's a lot of things we can do to help our border patrol. One, you know, we, we need to get more border patrol agents out there. It's hard to hire people when, when you're demonized by the public. It's hard to get people to, 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 to want to do this job when their family is going to say, oh, you're just going to go and, and hurt your own people. That you, I've gotten that myself. You know, it's hard to, to want to do a job where day in and day out your own, you know, the own, your own, uh, you know, politicians uh, talk bad about your own career field. It's very confusing and it's a hard thing. And so we really have to implement things that show the, the true heart and soul of what the career field does. We have to really educate people. That's why I wrote the book to educate your average person to be like, oh, I didn't know the job was that complex. I didn't know the job did that and did this. Uh, and, and we have to support them. We have to really believe in what they do and understand their mission. We can't talk out of line at what we assume their job is. We can't take one outlier story and right. say that that's the truth for all of us, you know? And so that's that's one of the things we could do. And, you know, there's policies that need to put in place to help the job. There's policies that need to be put in place that can help the, the border agents still believe in what they do and not feel like it's a catch and release situation. So let's talk about that. Yeah. Let's hear President Vince Vargas's suggestions and solutions for policy. 
You know, I think currently right now what we have is a little bit of an incentivization of illegal immigration, which means uh, they're getting a lot of perks for coming crossing illegally. Even if you call it claiming asylum, there's a lot of perks in doing that. Uh, I believe if you break the law, there should be a repercussion. At one point, there was a policy that I was when I was working called Operation Streamline that actually sent people to jail for entering illegally. No matter what, if it's asylum or not, you still broke the law first. So go to jail for 30 days, next time 60 days, next time six months, next time a year. That in itself is a deterrent. You have one person in your family go through that, he's going to tell 20 people, and that's going to start slowing down the traffic in that area. We have to have some kind of repercussion for entering the country illegally. I don't care, no if, ands, or buts, we have to. If you do that, well, then now you're setting a precedence. You cannot cross here illegally. You have to do it the legal way. We have to in- educate. We have to send our educators down south to educate how to cross our border legally. What is the process in in becoming a citizen? And we have to streamline that process for those who have proven themselves to be an asset to our community. We need migrant workers. We need that. We need hard workers. All right. We need people who come to this country and want to work, 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 because that's a struggle we have in our, in our country. And so we need these valuable instrumental people into our society and we have to streamline their process of becoming a citizen if they've proven that that's what they're here to do. And so educating our, our South American brothers and sisters down there, our countries down there, really showing showing how we can help them as well in their country and making their country a fruitful country that their, their people want to stay there, creating some kind of allyship with like, how could we help you make your country in a place that your own people want to stay, make it make the economy strong. You know, what do we have to do as Americans to implement that, you know, or or just guide them in that, whatever that is. Uh, at the same time, we like I said, we have to streamline our process. We have to understand all the different layers of immigration, right? Things like DACA, right? We, how do we address those individuals? How do we stop the, the loophole of coming across having a baby and boom, everyone's legal, right? There's a system, yeah. you know, and so a lot of things has put into place, you know, Immigration has been demonized. The whole immigration conversation. I'm, I've read so many different immigration books because it's kind of the world I'm in right now. Right. Um, and you know, there's, there's, you know, there's this, this, this woman who graduated from Harvard. She was a legal, a legal undocumented alien, and she graduated from Harvard. She wrote a book, and I'm reading it now, and it's interesting to hear her insight. But from her insight, it seems like she feels very alienated from our nation, and that's that's a hard pill to swallow on my end when. It's like, but you've been afforded the opportunities of graduating from Harvard. We are still, we are still the country of opportunity. We are still the land of opportunity. And even if you're undocumented, she was able to accomplish that much. At some point, you should turn around and say, "I have gratitude towards that. Right. I have gra- gratitude towards this nation that gives you that opportunity." You know, I, it's 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 a very complex, it's emotionally invested, emotionally charged topic, but it doesn't have to be. It really doesn't have to be once we get really educated on how it works. And I'm not saying our immigration process is perfect. I trust me. I don't. Our immigration process is is a mess, and it's been a mess for many years. I think a lot of presidents kind of scrape the surface of it and put a different layer and say it's good, but it's not right. There's very there's multiple levels of this immigration process that need to be addressed. Um, and and you know I don't like the ideology that our country is racist. It bothers me. It bothers me because it's like. Man, we are a land of immigrants. We really are. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. And you know, we have 
we have, you know, the Asians, we have Indians, we have, you know, we have Middle Easterns we have, that are extremely successful in our country and flourishing and doing really well in politics and in, in the medical field. And, and it's like that in itself is like, you have to acknowledge like, that's a beautiful thing that we have. And you have to acknowledge that as I'm down the border watching everyone come north, you don't see people running south for a reason. You know, when I was little growing up on military bases, I mean, I literally was blind to the fact, uh, the issue of racism, right? Because every classroom, every birthday party, it looked like a table at the UN, right? I mean, I just didn't, didn't see that growing up, right? Because I was exposed to everyone and it was a beautiful thing and it was fantastic and and there's nothing i love more than having friends that came from you know 15 different countries right and it, it is a beautiful thing i don't think anyone's wanting to take that away it right. just comes down to any successful business needs to have streamlined processes right and procedures yeah. and that's how you make it successful and that's how you ensure that everyone here, as you brought up earlier, we have the resources, right? Because if we run out yeah. of resources, then, then the country fails, right? All together we fail. Yeah. If you, if you just look at a border town in itself and you want to talk resources and you want to talk like, well, on a small scale in the border towns, they're so overwhelmed that their medical facilities are overwhelmed. Their detention facilities are overwhelmed. Their homeless shelters are overwhelmed. And that's just on a small scale. I mean, on a small scale in one city, we'll think about in the nation. We're getting close to that as well as a nation. As you bust these individuals out to other states who are who, who, are, who are welcoming in, they're turning around saying, hey, we're, we're, we're also now a state of emergency because we're overwhelmed. And it's like, yes, this will continue to happen unless we, we stop the bleeding, if you will, and really have a system in place that de deters illegal immigration and supports legal immigration. I'm going to get editorial for a minute, which I try not Go to do, it. but here's how I look at it. I think it is inherently, I'm going to argue against the people that say, well, you know, some of these illegal immigrants are in horrific situations in their home country, which is why they're fleeing to get help. But here's the flip side of that. It's, we have a homelessness crisis here in Seattle, right? And I think it's inherently unkind to enable people to continue their drug habits and living on the streets and not getting mental health help and not getting resources they so desperately need. I think that sort of enablement is inherently unkind. And I think putting women and children in situations where they are trusting people that are only in it for the money to cross the desert and put themselves at that kind of risk is inherently unkind. I'm going to argue that, right? Because if we had the processes in place and legal immigration was better streamlined and they could do it the right way easier, they wouldn't be encouraged to do it this incredibly difficult and illegal way. I think it's yeah, actually unkind to encourage that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's hard for us. We, we, we sit in a position of, of privilege, right? We definitely do. I We're own lucky. That. Yeah. I own that. Yeah. Yeah. Geographically, and, I hit the lottery by being born yeah. in the United States. I did nothing to earn that right. I did nothing to work towards that right. I just was lucky. It's the same, same. 
And in that same thought, you know, there was a, a situation that happened on the border. My buddy Kentu, he's, he's just an incredible, he has the, the pretty much the Medal of Honor equivalents for rescuing uh, some people at the border before. And another situation happened. He called me and he says, this lady runs up to his boat. He was on a boat crew in the Rio Grande River, runs up to his boat and throws her baby and to, to him for him to catch. And luckily he caught him and he starts cussing like, Hey, what the hell are you thinking? And she looked and says, you don't know my life. And that was him thing. Okay. That's fair. We, we definitely don't know what they go through, but she's willing to throw her baby at him to say, take him, take the baby and give him a better life. Uh, I get emotional. Think of that. I, Be yeah, I'm like, yeah, yeah, because We don't, we don't know. And we are human and I'm human first. And in that sense, I don't want to make a determination or any kind of opinion on these people. I just want to do my best to safeguard human life and be a part of the movement to see how we can fix the broken system that we've had for many years right? and how we can help, but as well as at the same time, how can we keep our country safe? and our country in a position that we can continue to help people and we continue to be a successful nation as a whole. It is a hard conversation. It, it is, is a complex conversation. And we have to have discussions like this instead of what we have on the outside of these arguments, of this fighting and these opinions. We have to be boots down on the ground and we have to be finding answers. And, and because these men and women and children deserve that that we fight for them too. Absolutely. And I want to be clear. <laughs> I want to create a system that that mom doesn't have to throw her baby, that she can come with her baby. Yeah. But it has to be done in a way that also protects my children from potential yes. harm. Absolutely. And, and that is in that is what makes this so difficult. And when you point a finger and you demonize someone for their opinion on either side, you are doing a disservice to that mom and the baby. Right. And Absolutely. I by no means want to imply that I don't want people coming into this country. That no, no, no. Getting at. And no, I'm no. I and I and I knew exactly what you meant, but it's yeah. like that that's how complex this is. That's how hard. Yeah. That's how hard this is is yeah you you have to be empathetic for all of that Absolutely. but but how, but how do we please both of those arguments immigration and homeland security if i had that answer i would run for a presidency if i had that answer yeah if i had that answer whoo boy <laughs> but yeah. what we can't do is have the leaders of this country go i don't know and throw right. their hands up and not try right. to solve it that is right. we're just going to be having the same conversation with even a more exhausted system 10 years from now. Yeah. And, and here's how I think it. I, I don't have all those answers, but what I do have is enough information to educate people on this portion, this portion. So if it's a pie of information, at least one of these slices has now been answered in this book of what the career field of Border Patrol does. And if that at least gives you a foundation to continue to learn and research and dig more into, so be it. I at least put that part of the equation that question is no longer a question. Here's the information exactly what the Border Patrol does day in and day out and what the career is expected to do. So I will say to you what I say to my children, and I don't mean it in a patronizing way. No. I am proud of the work you're doing, and I hope you're proud of yourself. 
I hope when you see uh, a book on the shelf, and I know it's very hard for, for, you know, servants and protectors to be humble enough to say, yes, I'm proud of myself, but I hope you are because you are walking the walk. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I do want to say one more thing because I think it's important for everyone to hear this. And I echo this as often as I can when I have a platform and a stage and a mic. Prior to coming into the private security industry, I'm a military brat. I always had respect for service members, right? But, and this makes me emotional. I had like, I want everyone to know the majority, the vast majority of people that do these jobs are inherently selfless. They have a heart of true altruism. And the next time you see a report, stop before you react and think about what they give of themselves. They go to places no one wants to go to. They deal with people no one wants to deal with. They deal with trauma that no one wants to have to have in their brain. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. So the people that protect our country and safeguard human life carry that burden with them and they don't ask for a thank you ever. So I just want to reiterate that most people that are doing this job are completely altruistic and truly just want to make the world safer and better. So please keep that in the back of your mind before you react to these reports we see. Absolutely. That would Thank be you. my last. Yeah. Okay. So reception of the book. What, been, what has it been? Yeah, it's been good. But, you know, there's always these, uh, you know, there's certain individuals who, who, will attack me for being Hispanic and writing this book and being Hispanic and being a border patrol agent. They call me the colonizer. They call me uh, un uh, Uncle Juan. <laughs> they call me, which is a derivative of Uncle Tom, right? Yes, uh, yes. They, they I call, hadn't heard that, but I yeah. got the Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, they, they've called me all the names you can think of that are derogatory towards a man who is Hispanic and is American, and it's it's interesting. Um, but it's okay. It's part of the fight. It's part of the thing that, that you – the goal is to educate and, and there's going to be people who are ignorant to understanding that or ignorant to even read the book and just make an assumption of what this book says. Uh, there's a lot of people that had assumptions of what this book was going to be. And when they read it, they were like, oh, I did not expect that. And that's what I appreciated. I, I know people expect a border agent to write a certain way or maybe to see the country in a certain way. But, you know, I am empathetic towards this whole conversation. And I think uh, the book is did its own justice in showing that and, and as well showing how complex this is. Keep on, keep it on. Tell people how to get that book of yours. Absolutely. You guys can go check it out. It's on Amazon. You can find it there. You can find the audiobook where I use my own voice to read it for you. One of the stressful things I've ever done in my life. Uh, <laughs> That's a well, lot of reading. <laughs> uh, yeah, with other people judging how you read it too. It's like <laughs> stressful. Uh, and as well as you can find it at uh, Barnes & Noble, local Barnes & Noble near you. Uh, I hope you guys pick it up. And if you ever know I'm going to be somewhere and you want me to sign it, I'd be happy to. So, All right. And for more podcasts like this, go to TNGdefense.com. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We appreciate it. Vince, again, appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye, everybody.